0: Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. Thank you again so much for being here with us today. If you are a first-time guest, thank you for worshiping with us. On your way out, make make sure to stop by our guest services area and pick up the gift that's been reserved for you. Today is an interesting message, and I'll get into that here in a moment and share that with you. Um, uh, But uh, just a couple of quick announcements that are on my heart. A pastor is always carrying things on his heart. And one thing that I'm excited about that I want to share with you tonight, you'll hear about it again at the end of the service, but tonight is our monthly Celebration Sunday. It's a night of worship to focus on singing more, and so come back tonight for a special night of worship. Our choir will be singing uh, a song, O oh, Praise the Name of the Lord Our God. We'll have several songs interspersed, some hymns as well. And then we have a special testimony tonight, Lord willing, from Vanessa Johnson, who just got back from Zambia. Wave at us, Vanessa. She'll be sharing. She was three weeks over in Zambia visiting her daughter, who also happens to be one of our missionaries, Rachel Johnson. And uh, Vanessa and I had a great chat last week, and she's ready. She's willing to share. So make sure to be back tonight to hear her testimony. And if time is, is, is allowed and available, then I might preach a little bit as well. But we're just going to have a great time and let God lead that service tonight tonight. And we'll try to keep it right at an hour from 6 to 7, but hope you can be with us this evening. And then next week, we have something called Serve Sunday here on Sunday morning in our church. And what's going to happen next week is I'm going to be preaching a message focused on how we serve more effectively together as a body of Christ here and how we can be effective serving together in the different gifting that God has given to us. Afterwards, in place of our normal small group times, we're going to have all of our ministry Uh, Teams that are going to be meeting. And we're going to have several tables lined up throughout the auditorium. So if you're not a part of a serving team yet, you can find out about all the different uh, ministries and maybe try one on for a couple of weeks. See how it works. See if that's where you enjoy serving. See if that's where the Lord has gifted you. So looking forward to that. Pastor Don will mention a few more details at the end of the service. But looking forward to both of those things, both tonight and also next Sunday. All right. Now we're into the sermon. Are you ready? Today's sermon is entitled Pause, the Discipline of Rest. And let's read one verse, and then we'll talk today. And uh, you pray for me. I'm nervous, and you'll find out why here in just a moment. Mark chapter 6, verse 31, the Bible says this. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and going. And they had no leisure so much as to eat. Simple verse. Jesus, in the midst of busy ministry, says to his disciples, Guys, let's go apart into a desert place and rest a while. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today about this overall principle of rest in our lives. Why we need that physically why we need that emotionally, mentally, and of course, most importantly, why we need rest spiritually. Uh, Father, be with me as I share my heart, as I try to uh, help with understanding in the role and the responsibilities and the callings of the pastor and what you've called me to. And Father, I pray that this sermon today wouldn't just help us as a local body, but Perhaps someone listening by way of live stream or podcast later would share this with another church, with another pastor, and that these words would be refreshing to their soul and help their ministry as they ingrain this principle of rest into the regular rhythms of ministry life. And so, Father, be with me now. Guard and guide my words. May they minister grace to the hearers. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen, amen, preacher. Well, good to see you this morning. Uh, We we do live in a frantic world. If you want to take out your worship guide and your bulletin there, um, sermon notes, follow along. I'll get the word right eventually. Uh, We live in a frantic world at a frenetic pace, don't we? We're all so busy. We have all these schedules to juggle. Uh, Technology promised us that we would have a life more simple, but yet it seems like they're so much busier. We have notifications going off hundreds of times a day, and so... While all this technology was supposed to help us, you know, the iPhone 11, the Apple Watch, all that good stuff, it hasn't made our lives simpler, if we're really honest. It's only made them more, more busy. And what we face today, one of the major issues I think we face in our culture today, is information and commitment overload. I can't tell you how after getting rid of a TV now for almost, uh, well, cable, uh, for almost a year, I don't miss the news. I really don't I still get the major news on social media because someone's gonna share it but just taking that one noise level out of my life has helped me greatly I'm not saying you got to do that okay you might have your show you like to watch on a Friday night or whenever but for me that's helped me greatly and so we just live in this information and commitment overload we're always swiping up you know and and uh, swiping to—we're you know, we're always swiping. And, and uh, of course, when I thought of overload, I thought of a—now, raise your hand if this is you at home. Go ahead. Right, put, put on the screen the picture. How many of y'all have that at home? You know what I'm talking about? A, a power strip with way too many things plugged in. And how many of you do the really bad thing? Come on, some of you need to confess this morning. Some of you plug the power strip into the power strip and into the power strip. Raise your hand if you do that. That is a really bad thing to do. That is a fire hazard, okay? And so what happens is, is we just get plugged into so many things. And for some of us, maybe the practical takeaway today is learning and how to say the word no. Because sometimes we're so overcommitted and we're so overburdened with different tasks and cares that we have no time for margin, no time for rest in our life. And so all of this, sooner or later, with all the modern advances, you would think we would have more margin and, 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 and time and ability, than, but the reality is, is we don't. All of this, sooner or later, adds up to an overloaded and burned out life but God promised and God designed us to operate best with cycles of rest in our lives this principle of rest was something that God modeled for us even before the fall of mankind as we'll see today God said that on the seventh day he rested from his work and so today we're going to look at this often overlooked and neglected principle of rest um, not only in the weekly day of rest but also in these focused seasons of rest that the Bible identifies as sabbaticals now Part of this is going to challenge us because in American culture, we like to be busy. In fact, if we aren't busy every single moment of the day, we think we're being lazy. And there is a problem with also laziness in our culture today, too. It's almost like we have extremes today. We've, we, we either have the really busy, overburdened, and overworked, and then we have the very lazy who do nothing. And so for, for most of us, I think, in this room today, we're going to be challenged in, in thinking, well, if I take that kind of rest, I'm, I'm going to feel weird. Actually, when you start to feel weird is when you're actually starting to take good rest. For some of us, we, we take short times of rest that aren't even long enough to really mentally reboot. And so we're going to talk about this in, in, in all different ways today, but specifically um, just to recognize this general principle that God has designed us with the need for regular seasons of rest Jesus points that out to the disciples here um, and, and, and if you think about it, this is so amazing what Jesus says in Mark 6 31 He says, come, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while This is amazing that he says this for one reason, because his time on earth was very limited He only had a three and a half year ministry how many of you have ever said, I would take a rest, pastor, but I just don't have time? Raise your hand. I mean, that's me. I feel like there's always responsibilities going on, and I'm about to give you a little bit of insight, of hope, into the life of a pastor, not so that you can pity me, uh, think I'm the victim. That is not the goal of the message today, and I really hope that that doesn't come across, and I've... And I'm going to really struggle through this sermon. I'm just going to tell you, it's going to feel weird and awkward because I'm preaching about me today, okay? And I'm preaching about the role of a pastor and why pastors need seasons of rest and why I'm so thankful that your leaders, your deacon team, the uh, leaders in our church here several months ago sat down and, and I presented them this, this need in my life and they have graciously honored that, not only graciously honored that with time away, but also chose to supplement um, me financially as well during that time so that I could travel and get away from the normal rigors of ministry life And so, um, so today's message is somewhat difficult for me to preach and teach because I'll be addressing my own role and calling as a pastor And, um, and how these need- needed seasons of rest and renewal are vital for me and for you, our church body So unless you're not aware, next month, in the month of November, I will be missing and that's not because I don't love you and I don't want to be here. I'm sure that I'll get the preacher uh, the preacher syndrome after a week or two, I'll want to be preaching again. Um, but I need time away and I need time to rest and relax and re- restore. And so I'll be gone for an entire month in the month of November. And uh, so what's gonna happen is, and I'll share this later in the message, but uh, the first half is gonna be our normal family vacation that we tried to do every year. And then for the second half of November, I'll be focused uh, specifically in on a pastoral sabbatical. So we're gonna identify what that is today and explain to you why this is important. And I've never taken one of these before in my life as a pastor, I've been in ministry now for 17 years almost. uh, And I've never taken one of these, but I'm looking forward to it. And I think that it's going to be an exciting time for us as a church body and for me. So first of all, I just wanna talk to you about the life of a pastor. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion today or maybe just a lack of understanding of what the role and responsibilities of a pastor really involve throughout a week. Um, This is obvious when statements are made such as this one. Um, I don't know, quote, I don't know what the pastor does. I mean, he only speaks for an hour or two during the week, and then he plays on the Internet the rest of the week in his office. Now how many of you have a pastor who you are either a pastor's kid you have a brother or a, or a, a brother or a father that's a pastor? Um, how many of you know that that's not the case most times that's not the case. Um, many of us have family that are involved in ministry in other places and so there's just a lot of misunderstanding as to what the role of a pastor involves. I just want to read to you a job description if you google the job description of a pastor you'll find several. Just listen to what a pastor. Is involved in doing a pastor as a pastor you provide spiritual leadership to members of the church your duties include preparing weekly sermons where you get graded every time you preach with either an A B C D or asleep and I think when people are asleep that might mean that I'm preaching a a, a, I don't know but anyway um, so so you're getting graded on every public speech you're giving and I don't know, uh, it, it, it's hard to communicate this, but when I get done preaching a sermon on a Sunday morning, I feel mentally and physically exhausted. In fact, one, one evangelist said that when you preach a normal 30-minute sermon, and unfortunately, I don't preach only 30-minute sermons. I'm working on that, by the way. Um, but, but when you preach a 30-minute sermon, it feels like you've worked an eight-hour day. And unless you do that, it's, it's just hard to understand. Because like, well, well, he's just up there running his mouth extemporaneously. Actually, no, we have lots of notes. You know, we spend hours a week in study and preparation. And so a pastor has to be an effective speaker where he gets graded every week. He oversees the uh, putting together of the worship services, working, working with the worship team. Um, It's our responsibility to interpret biblical scripture for the congregation uh, regularly, and I love this. None of the things I'm saying today, I begrudge. I enjoy it. I love talking about Bible questions with people. Folks will call me or text me during the week with Bible questions, and we'll talk. Um, We also provide care and counseling to church members and assist them in crisis situations. In addition, working as a pastor may require us to officiate at special services, such as confirmations, baptisms, weddings, and funerals. We, uh, we collaborate with choir leaders to integrate music into church services. Job hours are a bit irregular because we must divide our time between conducting worship services, attending social events at the church, completing administrative duties, additional job responsibilities may include uh, assisting in church financial matters. Not all the time, sometimes pastors are involved in that. Of course making sure that we stay on budget overseeing management of all areas of the congregation's ministry supporting overseeing and evaluating congregation staff and even if pastors have other staff which i'm so thankful that i've got a part-time faithful administrative staff pastor pastor Don, who does a great job even if other people are overseeing it you still feel the pressure of carrying it yourself and you still feel like well if the church isn't successful um the people are going to look at me and so there's this mental weight that you carry with that Um, To work as a pastor, you have to have a comprehensive knowledge of the Bible and a strong uh, conviction of truth. You must also be ordained by a church or an accredited body. Other skills, obviously, other things that are needful in a pastor's life are strong character, impartiality, public speaking, compassion for struggles and concerns for others, and the ability to, to communicate clearly. So I say all that to say that pastors have a lot that is on their shoulders, so to speak. They are constantly involved in the juggling of responsibilities, the juggling of expectations from both their church family and folks in the community. They're always juggling where the focus should be in their limited amount of time throughout a week. And so I just wanna read to you some statistics on a pastor. And I want you to listen to these because again, this is not to say, oh, the poor pastor or the poor role of the pastor. And, and this is not meant to say that a pastor has a more difficult life than anybody out in the pew does. But I just want you to hear this, and I want you to see how real this is. Um, listen to these statistics about the life of a pastor. Over a 1,000 pastors were surveyed and responded to several different questions about their ministry and their roles. 75% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed. When you go to get a disability policy as a pastor, uh, they of course ask you first of all what your job is, and then they classify in you into, into a high risk for a myo, myocardial event as a pastor. I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, but that's how they rate you if you ever go to get a disability policy. Um, 75% of pastors report as being extremely stressed or highly stressed. 90% work between 55 and 75 hours a week. 90% feel fatigued or worn out every week. 70% say they are grossly underpaid. Now. I'm so thankful that here, Fairview takes great care of their staff. And so we are in the 30% there, and we're so thankful for that. 40% report a serious conflict with a church member at least once a month. 78% of pastors were forced to resign from a church. 63% of those at least twice, most commonly because of a church conflict. 80% of pastors will not be in ministry in 10 years, and only a fraction make it a lifelong vocation. That's sad. That's very sad, that 80% will not be in ministry in 10 years? On average, seminary-trained pastors last only five years in church ministry. 100% of over 1,000 surveyed pastors had a colleague who had left the ministry because of burnout, conflict, or moral failure. 91% have experienced some form of burnout in ministry, and 18% say they are fried right now. 70% of pastors say they have a lower self-esteem now than when they entered the ministry there's anything that you want that will humble you in life enter into public ministry service it will humble you you come out of bible college thinking you've got all the answers but you don't (laughs) and it humbles you it really challenges you to depend upon christ catch this statistic folks and if you have a pastor in your family a brother or a father or a son and catch this statistic 70 percent of pastors say they constantly fight depression now, again, this isn't to say that this is, this is not, again, not that the pastor is this special position and that he should be pitied. I, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you see those uh, blogs that go around social media about how hard the life of a pastor is. I always struggle with them because in some sense, what, some of what they're saying is true, but I don't want to share it because it's like, you know what? Everybody's got a hard life. It's not like we're here trying to compare whose life is harder. That's not the point. But what really rocks you is when you see news of two men, Andrew Steckline and Jared Wilson. From the outside looking in, they seem to be young men who are very successful in their ministry, their churches are growing, and then the news comes that they've taken their own life. And you wonder, what was going on in their life? Well they felt alone, they felt like they couldn't talk to anybody, and so Seventy percent are constantly fighting depression. Folks, this is something we must address not only in this role in ministry and and, and job of life, but in every role of life. Fifty percent feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could right now, but they cannot because they feel stuck and they cannot find another vocation. Eighty percent of pastors believe that pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Eighty percent. Thirty-three percent said that it was an outright hazard. Eighty percent of pastors' ministry spouses feel left out and underappreciated in their church. 70% of pastors feel that they do not have a good marriage. 41% display anger problems in their marriage reported by the spouse. 38% of ministry couples are divorced or are divorcing. 65% of pastors feel like their family lives in a glass house. And you might be sitting there and saying, well, pastor, those are just statistics. Anyone else in any profession can claim similar things. And again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that pastors are deserving of special treatment. Um, But what I am saying is, is I think the key is just offering understanding. Offering understanding. Um, When folks come to me and share their struggles, I think, you know, sometimes I don't fully know what they're going through. But at least I can offer an understanding and compassionate ear and try to listen. And so... I think this is important for us. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of other statistics, but I'll just read a few more. 53% of pastors feel that Seminary Bible College did not prepare them adequately for ministry. 70% of pastors do not have what they would consider a close friend. 30% of pastors do not meet regularly with an accountability person or group of any kind. And I'll just stop and say, you know, up in Indiana, when I was a youth pastor, we had a great fellowship of pastors up there where we got together once a month or maybe every other month and fellowshiped. Um, but I can say, you know, something about the South is, is that we have a lot of outward hospitality. We're friendly to the outside, but down here, churches are so independent. They're isolated and they're so competitive and no pastor wants to open up to another pastor because of what he might do or, or, or pull people or, or, or or try to compete. It's so sad. It's very competitive in the South. It's not that way up North really, um, as much. 72% of pastors only study the Bible when preparing sermons or lessons, 72%. 21% of pastors spend less than 15 minutes a day in prayer. Only 16% of pastors are very satisfied with their prayer life. 44% of pastors do not take a regular day off in the week. Uh, 31% of pastors have no physical exercise in their weekly schedule. 37% only exercise three to four times a week, which is what is recommended. 90% say that they have not received adequate training to meet the demands of ministry and 85% say that they have never taken a sabbatical and that's what we want to discuss today. What is a sabbatical? And I just give you those stats to point out just the reality of, is being a pastor difficult? It is, but it's also the most rewarding uh, ministry and and vocation in life. There's no greater joy than to see when the truth of the gospel light bulbs come on in people's heart and life. Um, And so that's wonderful that's a joy there's no greater joy than to see when people walk in truth and there's no greater heartbreak than to see when people don't and to see the cycles that come in through a church and so there's this there's this physical mental emotional but we know that the most important battle that a pastor faces is spiritual it's spiritual several of you have said over the last several years that that you sense that there is a spiritual battle going on, and there always is. At times, it's more prevalent than at others. And so I say all that to say that a pastoral sabbatical, then, what is that, and why are they needed? Well, if 85% of pastors aren't taking them, then I think we need to figure out what this principle of rest really is, because so many pastors feel the demand um, of... Of being successful, seeing the church grow, seeing the people mature in their faith. So there's this constant demand on a pastor's life. And so what is a pastoral sabbatical, and why um, will I be taking one in the month of November? Now, what I can say is, sadly, a lot of times the word sabbatical is mentioned in a negative connotation because a pastor or a leader gets to a point where he has to take one. How many of you have ever been in a situation in a church where a pastor was forced on a forced leave of absence? Raise your hand if you know of, been in that or anyone. Okay, maybe that's not as bad of a situation as as, as it would be. But um, the sabbatical tradition, where did that start in America? It began in the universities at the time when the university was still part of the church. The idea was that the university professors needed one year in every seven to become students again to refresh their spiritual calling. So, and that's carried over to today. If you look at teachers, they get a natural built-in sabbatical every uh, summer. They teach uh, throughout the school year, and then they get two to two and a half months to refresh, to start to prepare for the next year. But when you get up into higher education, uh, professors uh, have a, oftentimes they'll have a year-long extended sabbatical. And so they'll travel for a year to another university, work on research, go back and get more classes and education. And so this tradition has been ongoing in certain, uh, certain areas of our, of our workforce for many, many decades. And so the tradition is still alive and well in secular as well as church-related universities today. Unfortunately, this, um, this principle is not alive or well in churches. Too often, church leaders are reluctant to arrange periodic times when the pastor or staff member can become a student and worshiper for the purpose of refining and updating their professional skills and refreshing their spiritual lives and calling. And so what is a sabbatical? It's something that's a little different from a vacation. So here's just a brief definition. You can go ahead and put that up. Okay, so what does the word sabbatical just basically mean? It's a specific season of rest and renewal. And where do we get that principle? Well, here in Mark six thirty one, Jesus is reinstating this. Now, we don't know how long this was. He says, rest a while. We don't know if that was a few hours, a day, a few days. We don't know. But what we do know is when we go back in scripture, we find that God obviously instituted a weekly rhythm of life. Now, of course, if you work in the uh, secular workforce, you get typically a five-day work week. And you get a saturday and a sunday off or off or just a different change of pace if you're salaried you know that's a little different if you're in a minister or if you're in a leadership position in a job that's probably uh not as much either and so so we know um uh, leaders in work uh work a lot more and so maybe you need to think about this sabbatical policy for you as well if you're a leader in a in a job and a business um, think about this both for you and your executive team and for your employees, Um, when you think about it, sometimes businesses cannot give more financial compensation. But what they can give is they can give more time. And so I want you, if you're a business owner or leader or an executive, to think about this for your work as well and how these sabbaticals could be refreshing to your people. So many times what happens with vacation? Vacation, you maybe get a week or a week and a half And what do you do? You leave as soon as the uh, clock strikes five on a Friday, you travel all week, go, 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 go. And then you get home late on Sunday night and you clock into work on Monday morning and you're wore out. You really didn't take a vacation. You just took a change of job. Like for instance, when we go on our 10 day vacation, you know what I'm gonna be? I'm gonna be a professional van driver for a week. Do you know where we're going? We're going up the entire East coast. I'm not sure if I would have chosen all that, but you know what, my wife and daughter and the boys, they want to do that, so we're going. And and so I'll be glad to get home and take a rest because it's not too restful to be driving through New York City, Philadelphia, over to Niagara, back to Washington, D.C. I'm looking forward to getting home and resting, but I'm looking forward to the time with the family as well because we're all so busy we don't get a, a chance to do that. And so a pastoral sabbatical, what is it? It's not a normal vacation. Uh, We have normal vacation time that we normally try to take. But rather what a sabbatical is, is a focused and intentional season of personal rest and renewal, both spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, and physically. So, why a sabbatical then? Why a sabbatical? Let me give to you a few reasons you can write down. Number one, God's designed to institute rest as part of the rhythm of life. God's design to institute rest as part of the rhythm of life. Way back in Genesis 2, God rested on the seventh day, not because he needed rest, but because he was setting a model for us even before the fall of man. And so God instituted that seventh day of rest. However, if you read the Old Testament in places such as Exodus 23, verses 10 through 12, Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 through 2, and Leviticus 25, verses 1 through 5, what you find out is... Is that there not only was a normal day of rest Throughout the week But every seventh year There was an an entire sabbatical year of rest To give the ground rest from producing crops And so God instituted these rhythms of rest He instituted a weekly day of rest He instituted a sabbatical year of rest Every seventh year And then on top of that Every fiftieth year There was this thing called the year of Jubilee. This is so cool. On the year of Jubilee, you would have loved to have been an Israelite and lived during one of the years of Jubilee. You know why? Because all of your debts got forgiven. Can we get an amen? All of your debts got totally forgiven. Land got returned back to the original land over every 50th year, so you'd have to make sure you timed all that right. But, but so, and that was an extra Sabbath after the 49th year Sabbath. So for those two years, The land got two years of rest. So you had these cycles of rest built into the nation. And so God designed and instituted rest as a part of the rhythm of life. Number two, God commanded the Israelites to honor these cycles of rest. He told them that this is for your good. So many of the commands in the Old Testament were because God wanted to protect the nation and he wanted to make sure that they were healthy physically. And so he, as a loving father, knew what was best. And so he gave to them these cycles of rest. And he commanded the Israelites to keep the sabbatical year. And the reason is, is because you can't just run the ground into the ground. If you strip the ground of all of its nutrients and minerals, it will no longer produce fruit. And so the land was only able to be fruitful if it had these cycles of rest built in. And so God instituted these these regular cycles. In fact, God judged the nation when they did not honor those Sabbath years. In fact, he sent them into 70 years of captivity because they had ignored the sabbatical year for all of those hundreds of years. So this is an important thing to God. So God, why a sabbatical? Because God instituted it, because God commanded it. Number three, it it recognizes the cost of pastoral ministry in that role um, a ministry sabbatical recognizes the always-on 24-hour-a-day nature of effective pastoral ministry and its effects on the pastor and his family I'm gonna tell you what this week was like not to again say oh, but just to say this is the nature of the role um, well there were several appointments that came up towards the end of my week that were not planned and of course you always know that Sunday's always coming so you're getting always ready for your sermons because, again, you're going to be graded on those. <laughs> and then, and then you, have, so you have appointments that come up that are, that are needed. And, it's, and, again, it's not that you begrudge those things, but you're just, okay, okay, so that's going to come up. So now I've got to juggle this, and I've got to put this over here. Um, then you have hospital visits come up. And, and, and how many of you know hospital calls don't happen when you expect them? That's just life, right? people, uh, all of a sudden you get the news that, that, that someone's been, been sent to the hospital and you're like, Hey, you know what? We're going. And so you go because you're not sure. Is it, is it life or death? Because you get the call. And so these are things that you constantly carry. You, you get the text messages, you get the phone calls, and those are great too. But again, those are all things that, that build into the week and take up the time. And so you're juggling constantly. You're juggling the responsibilities. You're always on call. Um, And there's always these expectations that are coming. Now, I want you to hold your spot here in Mark 6 and turn over to 1 Thessalonians for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians 2. I want you to see this whole chunk of Scripture because it's really good because Paul is talking about his heart for the ministry, his heart for the church. So I just want you to see this. Um, So it's not just the physical nature of work. Honestly, the physical nature of pastoral ministry is very light in the sense that a pastor typically is sitting behind his desk, which actually becomes a, a, um, a risk factor. I mean, how many of us know that pastors aren't the healthiest people in the world? Uh, some pastors, you know, and, and why? Because their people feed them too good, <laughs> especially in the South, you know? Uh, pastors uh, get fed well when they go to different houses, and we don't begrudge that. You know, we don't begrudge the fried chicken. We don't begrudge the, the, the chocolate pie. But the point is, is that all—so so the physical nature of the work— not just the emotional, mental, and spiritual strength. So it's all together. But look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. Paul says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Paul said that part of the pastoral ministry is like a mother. How many of you mothers know this, that you're on call 24-7? Moms are on call. How many moms need a sabbatical? Hey, this might be a great conversation after church at the dinner table. Hey, honey, hu- hubby, hubs, I need a sabbatical. And some of y'all do a great job of that. I see when you travel and you go on vacation and you're, and you're away for a good amount of time, we're able to recharge you either, you know, you go to the beach or you go on these uh, three or four week vacations. Those look awesome, by the way, in and, and one of these days, you know. And so, and so you do that. And so, but moms are always on call. They understand this. And so Paul gives the sense here that the nature of pastoral ministry is as a mother cherishing her children, nursing her children. Moms are on call at all times of the day. Look at verse 8. Being so affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. I can't say that this has always been the case, but I know that it is more now like this than ever before, but you become very attached to the people that you minister to and that you're with. Pastoral ministry really has this sense where you've given over your entire life to serving others, to being there for them, to weeping with them, to rejoicing with them, to experience the heartbreak with them and can I tell you that takes an emotional toll on a pastor we weep with the mothers and fathers who are going through the war zone of trying to raise their kids we weep with the widower who is saying goodbye to his spouse of 50-plus years. We weep with the widows. We weep, but we also rejoice at graduations. We rejoice when people win football games. We rejoice at recitals. We rejoice, and we weep. If you keep reading, verses 9 through 12, it says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, For laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are our witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comfort and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you into his kingdom and glory." And so, what a sabbatical does is it just recognizes the daily pressures, cares, and concerns of the church and says, okay, Pastor, we're going to give to you this time so that you can replenish, rest, renew, refocus. So, it recognizes the cost of pastoral ministry. Number four. It honors those who labor in ministry. 1 Timothy five seventeen through 18 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. The labor is worthy of his reward. And so, again, these verses are tough for me to read and preach because I'm talking about myself. But think about other pastors and other churches and, 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 um, and, and people that you know the point is this it's not that a sabbatical is a right, it really just becomes a need as you see what ministry life is like. And then finally, why a sabbatical? To bring fruitfulness to both the pastor and the church body. I will say this rested leaders lead better. And um, I think it's going to be a, a great season for our church. I'm excited about it, I really am. And so here's what's going to happen in the month of November. Uh, the first part of November, we'll be taking our normal family vacation. Uh, uh, over the 10 years that I've served here, uh, we, we have a compensation plan where, where each year uh, compensation or, or vacation days are there for me. And so we're taking our vacation uh, the first part of November. Like I said, it's an East Coast trip and a half. So y'all pray for us. We'll, we would love to um, we'll share some pictures, of course, over social media as we go. But we just pray for us as we go on that trip. And pray for just a wonderful time for my family and I as we spend time together. And, and even during that time, I'm sure that I'll start to mentally disconnect a little bit. Of course, on Sunday, I'm going to always be wondering, what's going on at Fairview this week? You know, How are the services? I'm going to be tempted to text Pastor Don and call him and say, how did things go? But Pastor Don's not going to answer my phone call, right, Pastor Don? I'm just going to be in the dark. I'm just going to be di- disconnected. Um, and that's going to be good. So that's part one. When we get back, part two, um, is I'll be gone from the 11th of November through the 27th, taking advantage of the uh, Thanksgiving holidays there as well. Typically in the month of November, there's not a ton going on here just because of how the holidays work, but then when we get back for the December month, that'll be when we get to get to moving with some special projects and things we're doing. And so the pastoral sabbatical will be there, and um, God has provided a desert place. If you notice, Mark 6, verse 31, it says, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place. Well, God literally provided for me a desert place to go, but it's actually a desert oasis. It's called Camp Ironwood, and it's right in between. It's south of Death Valley, and it's north of Joshua Tree National Park, and it's a Christian camp out there, and they have a uh, a pastor's uh, apartment, for lack of a better way to say it. That overlooks the valley and the river it's beautiful and so I'll be able to stay there and spend time what am I gonna be doing well so of course the vacation is part one but part two here's what a sabbatical is going to be involved and in, be doing so here's the pursuits that I'm going to be involved in and at the end of this month on the last Sunday that I'm here I'm going to give to a prayer card so that you can pray for me while I'm gone with some of these things that I'll be doing so what are the pursuits that I'll be engaging in over those roughly 14 13 days Of sabbatical first of all again rest and relaxation from the rigors of public ministry and I've already I think stated the reality of that and just the spiritual wear and tear number two a focus on personal health my goal in this month is I want to come back 15 to 20 pounds lighter so you pray for me Uh, some of y'all are so gracious you know you 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 can see that uh, I'm not as fit as I used to be and you try to encourage me and I thank you for that and I welcome that But I'm going to be taking some specific seasons in this sabbatical of fasting and detoxing my body physically. And so a focus on personal health. Number three, personal and spiritual renewal and replenishment for extended ministry life. A sabbatical is a breakaway from the time and routine of normal daily ministry for a focus on personal, spiritual enrichment and growth. Um, And so I hope that this season will extend to my effectiveness and fruitfulness when I come back. Uh, Number three, personal or four, personal development. There's going to be several books that I have uh, the goal of reading. Not long books, but shorter books, a couple of books on leadership. Again, I'll be providing a reading list so that you can see what I'm reading. And you're invited to read along with me. I would love for you to read some of that with me. And so I'll be providing a reading list while I'm away and what I'm studying. I'm also going to be reading a certain portion of Scripture. I hope to read through the Minor Prophets while I'm gone and just see how the Minor Prophets connect into the big picture of the gospel story. So I'm looking forward to that. Um... Number five, personal worship. My family and I on our vacation, we will be worshiping in several churches, churches on our trip, but then we're also, when I get to the sabbatical there in California, I'll be trying to find a couple of churches to worship at on the Sundays that I'm there. And then finally, ministry planning. What I wanna accomplish in these two weeks that I'm gone at the end of November is to plan and pray through the next three to five years of ministry. Um, And just to get an idea of where God's taking us. We are at an interesting transition in the life of our church. We're talking about several things with our deacon and leadership team right now. Just to see how we take the next steps of growth and spiritual health in our church. And so would you pray with us about that? I thought we had a great annual meeting last week. um, And I want to thank the church last week for approving that, that budget and approving those funds so that I could go on this sabbatical. And focus on these areas. I hope to return with a stronger relationship with Jesus, a clearer sense of the church's purpose and vision, along with a renewed energy to work towards accomplishing those purposes together. And so here's some things that I would ask of you during this season. And again, a lot of this will be on that card that I'll give to you at the end, so if you don't have time to write this down, it's okay. I want to get through this, but here's what I ask for you to do during this season, and these will be on that card, so you don't have to write them down right now. Number one, please pray for us pray for our time as a family and my marriage and our children. At the end of my sabbatical, I failed to mention this, at the end of my sabbatical, kind of part three, my wife will be joining me for a few days, just my wife and I, and so that's going to be a great time as well, and so thank you uh, for allowing that. Um, So please pray for us. Number two, please be faithful to attend and stay involved and invested here while I'm away. Um, The body of Christ is vital and every member is needed. so I really wanna challenge you to be faithful to attend and stay involved and invested here. Um, we're gonna need some help in some certain areas, uh, specifically, I don't know if you re- realize this, but my family's very involved in music. And so we're working, if, if you play the piano congregationally, we need you to co- uh, coordinate with Jessica and Pastor Don and get you lined up to play the piano. If you play the guitar and can lead that way and, and help Scott and others serve, we'd love for you to do that. Um, and so we're going to be missing for those several weeks. Uh, and so I hope you'll still be here and be involved in that. This might be a great time for you to take a step into serving where you haven't served before. So, so we'll be trying to make those areas clearer in the coming weeks. Please invite others to these services and gatherings. Um, God's word will be presented. And, and finally, this is my fourth point, and that is please support and assist Pastor Don as he leads during this time. I'm so thankful that we have a qualified teacher and preacher of the Word of God who has been in ministry for 38 years, and he is going to bless your hearts as he preaches the Word every Sunday. In fact, many of you will enjoy him more than you do me. And you know what? That's okay, because every voice has a way of ministering to individuals, and I get that. Uh, So some of y'all are looking forward to the break from me for a month, and that's good. And you know what? I can't wait to come back and hopefully be refreshed and to be able to speak truth into your life. And so I'm so thankful that Pastor Don's gonna be able to preach. He's gonna be preaching a series, I believe, in Habakkuk. Have you ever heard a series through Habakkuk? If not, get ready. It's gonna be a blessing to you. I hope you'll be here to support him and just make sure that he has what he needs during this time. Of course, the deacons are gonna be working with him hand in hand as well. Now, for the last few minutes, here's the reality. All of us tend to equate busyness with effectiveness and fruitfulness. And yes, God wants us to be diligent, faithful workers and laborers, but he also doesn't expect us to do that in our own strength. We can all fall rather easily into a Martha mentality. And so the reality is, yes, we need physical, mental, and emotional rest. We need these seasons. And so if you're the kind of person that you're a workaholic, I think that's the only aholic that we look at with some form of pride today. That's not a badge of honor. And what I want to encourage us is to make sure that we have margin in our weekly rhythm, in our yearly rhythm, and in even long seasons where you serve for so many years, you work for so many years, and then you plan these months or these extended times of rest and renewal. But even with all that physical, emotional, and mental rest, The most important rest we need is the rest for our soul. Our greatest need in life is not for physical and emotional rest, but for soul rest. Only the gospel can bring that kind of lasting rest into our lives. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. We need that rest. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says there's no rest for the wicked. Why? Because they're always looking over their shoulder, wondering when their consequences in their life is going to catch up with them. There's no rest for the wicked. But you know what? There's also no rest for the self-righteous. For those who think they have to earn their way to God. And that they've got to attain salvation as if it was something that they do on their own merit. There's no rest for the hedonists, and there's no rest for the moralist. There's only rest for those who have totally flung themselves into the all-sufficient arms of Jesus Christ. Soul rest. Do you have Soul rest. No length of vacation physically will give you soul rest. Only resting in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ will give you that kind of rest. And can I tell you this? I'll be really honest, you ready? I would have burned out a long time ago as a pastor in public ministry if I didn't have that to lean upon. Five, six years ago, the gospel rescued me in some of my most intense seasons of disappointment and discouragement in the same moment that I'm crying in desperation and pain the next second I'm laughing (laughs) I really am because the gospel's that good because in that moment God answers a prayer this last week God answered a prayer so clearly within a matter of a couple of hours in my life And it's just so neat to see how it's the gospel that gives us rest. Jesus said in Isaiah 40, verse 31, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What we all need today is not just a sabbatical, a time, a month or a day or a week or a weekend. What we really need is a sabbatical of the soul, a rest for the soul. And that's what Jesus can offer to us. Are we resting in him? Let's pray.